Welcome to the Optimistic Advocate Podcast, helping you find your way through the complicated world of advocacy in children's mental health services. Stay optimistic, have a plan, follow through. Welcome your host with 40 years of industry experience, Scott Bryant Comstock. Oh my goodness. Here we are. It's April. We're in the midst of a pandemic well, like nothing, nothing I've ever seen in my life. And uh, this podcast is, which was, which was conceived long ago and finally brought into fruition, uh, the focus was to talk about optimistic advocates, you know, how to do advocacy in, uh, in children's mental health. And okay, that, you know, that kind of made sense. But at the point when I actually put the podcast together, the world changed. We have a completely different world. And at one level, yeah, that's kind of a drag because the old way of doing things was comfortable, predictable. Um, uh, I've been working in this field for a very long time. And, you know, things kind of had a rhythm. They made sense. All that's changed. All that's different. And I got to tell you, folks, it's really, really exciting. Um, yes, we are in incredibly difficult times, but this is a season of change, a season of opportunity, a season of rethinking the way we do business as advocates. And uh, hey, that's what this is about. So this podcast is about introducing you to really innovative advocates uh, who are rethinking the way to deliver services, uh, who are just rethinking the way everything is done when it comes to making the lives of children and families just a little bit better. One of the most exciting examples of this new age advocate, if you will, in this time of pandemic is Martin Rafferty of Youth Era uh, out in Oregon. And, you know, this is an organization that uh, utilizes a number of evidence-based practices in their service delivery model with, with youth. Uh, peer-led, peer-run. Um, their work is solely focused on working with young adults. Um, and, you know, I got to tell you, they're rewriting the playbook when it comes to addressing trauma, uh, understanding the needs of emerging adults, and frankly, moving forward with cutting-edge technology uh, to reach young people in ways that most national mental health advocacy leaders haven't even begun to think of. And over the last eight years, or nine years, I guess, they've trained, I don't know, well over 30,000 people in at least 24 states. Um, they have a huge Facebook reach. Um, their peer support specialists provide uh, more than uh, 10,000 hours of peer support uh, to transition age youth each year. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, they, uh, the things they've done. To give you just one example of, of how innovative uh, Martin is, back in 2014, um, and Youth Era was Youth Move Oregon at that time, there was a school shooting in uh, Troutdale, Oregon. Um, a 15-year-old student uh, had an AR-15, shot and killed a 14-year-old freshman, wounded a teacher turned the gun on himself and took his life. Very horrific, horrific event. Happened on the second to the last day of school. 
So after the community response and there was a lot of obviously sadness and a lot of groups were formed to talk about what to do next and, and how to help deal the family, uh, the young people deal with the trauma, uh, Rafferty and his team from Youth Move Oregon at the time, now Uvera, they had an idea. They, you know, they said, you know, what if the students had an opportunity to reconnect with the school, the building? where this horrific event had happened. There had been a lot of work done with the young people themselves, their families, but, you know, that building represented some significant trauma. And uh, so what they did was they said there needed to be an opportunity for these young people to kind of reestablish the positive feelings about the actual building and have a fun event and provide easy access to peer support specialists. So that's what they did. It was a great example of... of looking at a situation through a slightly different lens. And uh, the students were incredibly positive about it. The teachers were positive about it. And it gave a chance for these young people to reconnect with the building where they would be learning, uh, depending on where they were in their high school uh, years, uh, for a number of years, that they would be able to reconnect with it in a positive way. And that's just the kind of thing that, you know, Martin continually does in his leadership role. So sit back, enjoy the interview, get inspired. Let's get to it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we got a great show for you today and uh, with me, uh, well, virtually in the studio is Martin Rafferty, who is the CEO and founder of Youth Era. A, a full plate, I might add, a full plate of conversation. <laughs> and this is the first episode, right? You know, this is the first episode. And I I thought, you know, I've been doing this for like 40 years. And I thought, who? Who is doing the work? And who, who is really bringing it? And of course, you know, and full disclosure, folks, I've known Martin for Probably about, I don't know, what, 10, 12, 15? A million 20? years. A million years. A million years. And uh, the work that he, well, he's a trailblazer, but I, I, you know, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, this is the first episode. So yeah, no pressure, brother. You know, I mean, you know, people are on that click button right now. They're, they're wavering. So yeah. you got to bring it. Well, the story of Youth Era starts in a time like how this podcast is starting. It started in 2009 and it, you know, we weren't facing a health emergency back then, but the entire economy was collapsing all around us. This was after the uh, uh, housing bubble bust and there was a lot of chaos. And at that time, Youth Move National, which is an organization under SAMHSA, uh, they mainly focus on, peer support advocacy for young people, youth move, move is an acronym, motivating others through voices of experience. We became a state chapter, the first state chapter under Youth Move National. But what we quickly started to discover is that the state of Oregon uh, was not so interested in advocacy. Scott, you played uh, Oregon Trail before? I don't do too well, man. I break my leg. I get bit by a snake. You know, I run yeah. out of water. I, that game, that game's rough, man. I, I, I mean, I don't even think I make it to you know Ohio. <laughs> uh-huh. 
And, and so that game is a great representation and accurate representation of who people of Oregon are, you know, we, uh, we want, if you're going to come and criticize a system, which is what the youth move national advocacy model is based on. And, and for good reason, there's a lot to criticize, but in Oregon, the, the, the concept that would come back is all right, easy to criticize, hard to create. How would you do it differently? And so we had to become something different. And in that process of becoming more focused on direct services, uh, our, our program turned into an organization. We, uh, we had left the Youth Move Oregon name behind. We adopted the new name Youth Era. And now we have, um, we have staff in three different states. Uh, we, four different states actually. Uh, and we are, expanding our direct services slowly, but we have a base of operation here. We have five drop-in centers in Oregon that we run directly. Uh, more than two dozen peer support specialists who operate outside of a drop-in center. Um, and then, you know, there are, there are other parts of the country that are running our model. So the state of Kentucky has 16 drop-in centers that run independently from us, but they're based on our core model. And all of that work came out of these, these pioneering years of, of that economic collapse of 2009, 2010, 2011. And a lot of the work that we do is integrated into mental, youth mental health, youth foster care, youth homeless and runaway youth services. And it's a really simple idea. And here's what the idea is. Stop focusing on the system and start focusing on the youth. How can we turn young people, how can we help empower them to create upstanding citizens, right? And so if, if it's foster care or mental health, you know, we, we see past the systems and, and try to work directly with those young people to get outcomes that this, those systems appreciate. So when you look at our funding models, we are funded by the mental health care system. We, we do have some homeless runaway youth dollars. We do have some foster care dollars, uh, but mostly those, those systems are paying for our outcomes. And so it gives us the opportunity to reach youth in ways that are really surprising to a lot of folks. So let's go back to 2009. Uh, so, right, the, the, the country is just wrecked, right? And, and nobody's, I assume, thinking about spending money. Uh, and mm -hmm. here you come. Uh, and, and I, and I think you're right. It's, it's a fascinating concept because hell I'm an advocate, you know, but part of my advocacy is sitting back and looking at the big picture and acting all smart and, you know, and saying, Oh, this goes over here and this goes over here. And then writing something and say, okay, everybody needs to look at this. Thank, thank God I didn't go to Oregon first. Jesus <laughs> Lord, man, probably be out of a job. But anyway, so there you are. You you kind of come from that model. You go back home to Oregon. How, how did you turn it around? And how did you get people to um, say, okay, let's give these guys a shot? They're not here here to bust their chops, you know. I mean, so so how did you make the pivot? Because you were coming from a model which I know very well that really. Uh, you know, rightfully prides itself on saying, look, we've scanned efforts across the country. You know, we've got best mm -hmm. practices and et cetera, et cetera. But yet you became something different. You know, it's yeah. like, I guess I, I, I just want to tease out a little bit that part that helped you go from 
talking about it to doing it. Yeah, and you know, I want to I want to honor where we came from and I want to honor your experience uh, and the experience that the the so you know, the founding executive director for Youth Move National, she now works for Youth Era. And and so I I want to I want to you know, honor her work as well. Because when I say that Oregon does things differently, that we expect, um, we're the Oregon Trail people, we expect um, some more pudding uh, in, that, in that proof. Uh, it's not to say that the trials that, that you know, you all have to go through aren't, aren't as hard. It's different, right? You have to look the right. part. You have to go to the right schools. You have to be backed up by the right people. And if you don't have those things, you're not going to make it. And so people like you, Scott and Lacey, um, uh, you're different kinds of champions, Uh, a, a kind of champion that I probably couldn't ever be. And it just so happens that I was the right champion for this part of the country. But going, going back there to, to 2009, you're right. Uh, no one wanted to fund innovative models back then. And so what we had to do, and I, I love using this example, it's not a recent example, but it is what I call a har- hallmark example uh, because it, it really helps you to, to understand uh, the kind of thing that we do in a, in a, in a brief way. So there was a hospital uh, or there was a area that the the ambulance and the hospital and the 911 dispatch, they were all getting funded from the same part of local government. And they had something that they called high flyers. It was a group of about 25 young people who did not need emergency services um, but they would frequently use emergency services. They would call 911 when they're having anxiety attacks, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, that's expensive, right? An ambulance ride when you don't need one, that's expensive, especially if that local system is paying for all of those parts. And so when we were still cutting our teeth and kind of showing that, that peer support isn't just this novel concept that it's something that, you know, give us six months of funding. We, we asked for six months of funding. They gave us three months of funding, right? You know that they're, they're confident in you when uh, they're like, we're, we're only going to give you three months to see if it works. So you, you get a, a peer support specialist. Well, wait a minute. So, they, gave, they gave you three months of funding, but what were the rules? Or were there rules? Yeah, there were no rules. The rules were, show us what you can do. Show us how much money you can save. Show us the cost that you can cut. And, and so this peer support specialist worked with a group of these youth. Now, given there's another, uh, there, there, was, there were a few hurdles to get through. Like right. we weren't given the list of the, the names. We had to create materials, brochures, and, and social media uh, um, pages that they could send to these youth. And those youth had to organically find their way to us through those materials. Huh. Yeah. So wow. talk about, uh, uh, you know, shooting upstream, right? No kidding. So um, we, 
we eventually, and then, and then there's the question that a lot of people ask, like, how did you, how did you know that you were working with the right youth that they right. had identified? And the answer is, is we never do. We, whenever a young person seeks us out and they need support, we don't check their insurance card. That's just not, not in the nature of what peer support is. So, so let, let me stop you there for a minute because yeah. that, that's interesting because, you know, for years I've, I've done these community assessments for these system of care grants that SAMHSA gives and, and the, you know, the rules and the guidelines have changed over the years. But one of the things that uh, we used to look at, and it feels kind of funny to say this based on what you were doing, was the youth that were being served had to be in a certain category, had to have certain diagnoses. And I get all that is because they were conducting, you know, research studies on these. So it was, it was an interesting kind of arbitrary prescription of who was going to get this service. And I remember an, a common thing that would come up within these grant programs was that, well, you know, why can't we serve these people too? You know, and but mm-hmm. no, that we had it had to be very specific. But you're saying you you didn't that just wasn't even a something that went into your head whoever walked in that door could walk in there there was no screening about who would get your peer support and who wouldn't yeah and and so that's why i'm very careful to be respectful of other people's journeys yeah because because on the one hand what you're saying is so absurd and and you know it's absurd because it was made by bureaucracy yeah because if it was made by someone who only cared about the bottom line now, there's a lot of demonizing about those kinds of people in those groups that only care about the bottom line. But yeah. when I go into a group of people that are like, these costs are unacceptable. The only thing we care about is you getting these costs down. Right. They, they, that's a different process than, than putting together a group of people to create a theoretical you know, uh, uh, program that's going to run on funding where you need to kind of put out these restrictions to safeguard the funding because you don't want it to be abused, but you don't know if those safeguards are going to have adverse effects. And so it's, it's very difficult to do that. And that's, those are different. I I hate that kind of bureaucracy. You know, I go, let me, what, what, what are the outcomes that you want me to get? Let me try to get those outcomes. And then, and then we can talk about safeguards and we can talk about everything else show me the outcomes you want. I'll get there. And so, um, and so we did, I hear in, in the story that you just gave, because a a lot of people are going to have that experience about um, going back away from this emergency room ambulance story. Our, one of our first drop-in centers, it was our second drop-in center, but really it was our first, because it was the first one that was well-funded. You know, you have the prototype drop-in that uh, was a, a room and then we had the Clackamas drop that um, Ali Linfoot uh, gave us a chance at, you know, $210,000 a year was our, was our budget. And like that amount of money was able to create a real model, right? And so, but one of the first conversations we had with those people who were so generous and so trusting, um, they, this is a town um, that's close. It's a small town close to a huge city and a huge county. And so one of their biggest concerns is how are you going to turn away people? We're a little town in a little county. We're right next to this big town. 
you're not going to be serving youth from that county in that town at this strapping center, are you? We absolutely will be. We absolutely will be. Now you tell me the amount of youth you want us to serve from your county to make that work for you. And the answer, and this wasn't from Ali, this was from county commissioners from a step above, just to be clear. The answer was, no, that's not how it's going to work. Uh, you can walk if you're going to walk. Okay, we're going to walk. We're going to walk. And Gutsy, gutsy. Yeah, well, and stupid, really stupid. But ty- all right, so, so anybody can walk in. Uh, yeah. and, and it's, and the target is youth up to what, from what, what age range or well, yeah. does so, that matter? Yeah, no, the, you know, those particular, what, what we ended up doing with the, with the County was we got their bottom line number. Okay. Because they did come back and they said, you know, can you, what, what about some parameters? And I'm absolutely parameters. Like we will not advertise to any youth outside of your County. Like we will be very focused on making sure that our social media marketing and all of that is centered here. Now, if you know anything about marketing or social media, you know that, you know, you can have the um, intent to not market outside of an area, but that's not how it works. Right. Um, That being said, we, we got the number that they wanted us to serve, which that's Mm -hmm. a sane, that's a, that's a sane and healthy question to, 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 to expect like, how many people do you want to serve? All right, if we're serving that that many people, why do you really care if we serve over that amount? And that's the that's the kind of um, you know, I, I think when people are listening and they're trying to think about building a program, that would be a limitation that they might have because they might go in their head, well, how are we going to serve 60 youth? You know, if the county wants us to serve 40 and there's going to be 20 more, you know, how are we even going to do that? And it's like right. You get good enough to do it. You get efficient enough to make it happen. And, and so that attitude, and it, it pushes over back to this, to this story about the, the ambulance rides, right? Like where we had to get really good at social marketing and, and marketing directly to young people, because if they weren't going to reply to these, to this, uh, um, these advertisings that we we're pushing out because we couldn't select them, uh, we wouldn't reach the outcome of cutting the costs for the system. And so we were able to do that. We were able to cut costs and in a way show this entire system that peer support works for the bottom line. If you're trying to cut costs, peer support Martin, works. Martin, 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 Martin. So I, I mean, I'm just, I'm listening to you and I'm saying, yeah. All right. So this young cat is, you know, pitching this model. I'm a bureaucrat. I got it. I'm part of a county bureaucracy, uh, which I've been a part of. And, and you know, th- th- things got to fit a certain way. And then this wild child comes and starts talking to me about, well, you know, we're going to do these drop-in centers and anybody can come in. And, and uh, you know, in the programming is something, well, we're figuring that out. I, I I would say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can't. No, what, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. So, what, how see, did that, why did that not happen or did it happen? 
Well, I love it had that, to have happened. I love that this question is happening right now in time because I, I have a question for you, Scott. What yeah. season is it? What season is it right now? It's the season of the witch, baby. <laughs> if you're looking at the calendar, oh, the calendar, it's spring. It's it's spring. Oh, that's almost spring. Yeah. But but if you're looking, no, it's officially spring. Oh, is it officially? As of four days okay. ago. Yeah. Okay. But but if you're looking out. It's yeah. winter. The economy is collapsing. So let's look at that. The question you asked me couldn't come at a more relevant time because anyone who's listening to this podcast right now, you're in this season of winter and there are things possible in winter that aren't possible in any other season. Yeah. You can make winter your season, right? So you ask, how is that possible? Right. Well, the same reason why we've been getting calls about our social media, all of a sudden people are really interested in adapting what we're doing on social media. And finally, what wasn't possible a month ago is now possible today. You know, Martin and I continue to talk about uh, uh, the work that you there is doing, but we the, the subject turned to HIPAA and uh, with the pandemic, the um, relaxing of HIPAA standards, especially around um, things like telemedicine and uh, different ways to do outreach. And uh, he got really excited uh, when we, uh, when the conversation turned in this direction. And I think he got it, well, you'll hear why he got excited, but I think for Rafferty, um, the relaxing of HIPAA is an opportunity to rethink how we do business. And that's what we look for in the optimistic advocate. We look for people who are rethinking how to do business and then actually doing it. Uh, so yeah, let's have a listen in. If anything goes, you know, well, what, what does that mean? Where are the safeguards? So I like to go back to the outcomes and let's look at the outcomes of our mental health system. Now I'm not an expert on adult mental health. Uh, I'm not even am I not an expert. I'm not even a novice. I, I, I'm whatever under a novice is. But for youth mental health, I know what the outcomes have been for the last decade. Suicide rates are climbing higher and higher. The trends are showing not any sign of that easing, but signs of it increasing. And so, and, and any honest advocate I've ever talked to about HIPAA, have all agreed on, on this premise. It was, it, it's something that was put in place with the best intentions and the negative consequences probably outweigh the positive ones because the stigma is still there. The mental health stigma is still there. Uh, in, in so many areas, especially with young people, uh, HIPAA does nothing to protect uh, or safeguard their, their information in any meaningful way to them. Now, you can make an argument that we're safeguarding their future by, um, you know, looking ahead and saying, you know, this information could hurt their future prospects at, at positions. And what you're starting to realize if you're looking at data privacy is that there is no data privacy. The quicker that we understand that privacy is something that's disappearing, that the, fu the future as it's happening around us, we're losing privacy as a concept 
And, and the, these younger generations are doing that uh, in earnest. Uh, and you can judge that and say it's ignorant or not ignorant. Uh, but the reality is for the mental health system, you should be excited that HIPAA is paused, excited that we have the ability to try some things that might work because what we have been trying hasn't worked. So what does that what does that look like for you there? I mean, so let's let's talk about where we are now. I mean, it's coronavirus. We're we're uh, you know the tsunami wave is probably going to be on us in what, yeah. two weeks. You know, a week or two of deaths and and uh, and and as a country, we're still waffling about what we need to do or what needs to happen. But one of the things that has happened is the the uh, the easing up of HIPAA requirements because obviously work needs to be done. So how is that playing out for what you guys are doing at the drop-in centers? So two things. One thing is that the most significant way that HIPAA is playing out for us is that the walking dead have come back to life. So all of these system providers across the country are now, for one, they are isolated away from their clients. And so there's a real need. I'm not just saying that the fact that HIPAA went down and now they're really interested in social media and they're really interested in doing this digital outreach now. What's actually happening is that there's a significant need because of social isolation. And so that need combined with the easing of HIPAA, it's it's going to, what it has done is it's asked the question of these clinicians and these providers, how could we do this differently? people are coming at it with their best intentions. And so hopefully we're going to find some ways that work. We go to put HIPAA back in place because it's winter and you can only do certain things during winter that you can't do in other seasons. Clinicians are going to be like, wait, here's this puzzle piece that we want to put in with it. This piece that lets us do social media outreach, that lets us do telemedicine easier. You know, so that's what we're we're hoping for, but that's what we're noticing as far as needs. Yeah. So, so uh, give us some examples of some of the things that that you are doing uh, with young people that you weren't doing before coronavirus. Yeah. So let's let's uh, do what I, I I like to do most and go back to the outcomes. So uh, in Lane County, where I'm calling from right now, where our headquarters is for youth there in the country, um, we had two youth suicides on one day. Uh, domestic violence uh, incidents in our state have skyrocketed. Uh, the amount of requests for food uh, from from uh, food boxes and, and food pantries have overwhelmed our, our system. And so Youth Era has, um, you know, we, we were, uh, for some reason, uh, our local news uh, has, has me reoccurring every week. Um, which is the most bizarre thing ever. But I think this particular news anchor saw that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was honoring our work and he wanted to see what we were doing. And so this was, this was a while ago. He did a story on our preliminary test run of Twitch. So just for your, your viewers who have, have never heard of what Twitch is, um, I have a, a really easy way for, for you to understand it. It's, it's Twitch is the biggest social media network right now for ages 13 to 18 in the United States. Uh, um, I, I'm being very specific there because TikTok 
when you look globally, TikTok is the, is the leading social media platform. But if you look here at that age group, it's, it is Twitch. And um, what Twitch is, you can think of it kind of like YouTube. But unlike YouTube, what, what youth go there and watch their favorite show hosts play a video game on camera. So you get to see the game that they're playing. You get to see a camera on them. And they're talking and, and youth can chat in a chat box and interact with the person who's streaming. And so it's kind of like your favorite talk show. If you go and watch Stephen Colbert every night, yeah, maybe you like the celebrities that come on, but really you're tuning in every night because you like Stephen Colbert, right? And so the, these Twitch uh, uh, streamers, the young people connect with their personalities. And so we... We started four months ago um, doing regular Twitch segments where we had a, a peer support specialist um, on Twitch. And it's so lucky, um, you know, my, my mom would say it's, it was forward thinking. Yeah, no mom, did not foresee the coronavirus coming, all right? Um, but we had these things in place and so when these schools went on lockdown, we were able to flip a switch. And so now, um, right now, actually, until two o'clock, live on Twitch, we have a youth peer support specialist team. So not just a streamer, but peer support specialists in the chat, working with young people, helping them through that they come and talk about what they're going through. They ask for support. They ask for help. They ask for food. And that's every day we stream from 10 a.m. Uh, to 2 p.m. and then 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Monday through Friday, not every day. So we don't stream on the weekends yet. We're, we're working on it. And, and that's for, for anybody who has access to the Internet. Anybody that has access right. to the Internet. So, so that's what we're doing for, for young people who are feeling isolated at home. And if you know, if any of your viewers have a young person in their life, go, you know, go to our website, connect them with their Twitch. They'll know what Twitch is. Um, uh, this is a way that you can make sure that they have access to, to peer support. Completely free. All of youth era services are always completely free. And we'll put, we'll put links in the, in the show notes. And uh, so they can actually go to your website, see it. So yes. Or go to Twitch and see it in action. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. The other thing that we're doing, and, and this is not for the general public, um, but for we've had to close our drop-in centers. And so we, we have virtual drops. And this is on another platform that most of your viewers have never heard of. And this platform is called Discord. And I want you to think about Discord if I'm going to give you an example so you can understand. It is like your, your text messaging, you know, on your phone, you, yeah. you send SMSs. It is a souped up version of that where you have, instead of, you know, you have different channels and, um, but it's basically a souped up version of text messaging. Huh. And, and so, and that's where young people are already, you know, so many, so many times we, we offer technical assistance. And so many times people will come and be like, oh, should we make an app? Should we, you know, create a website? And it's like, no, no, use what, where the youth are already. If they're on a social media, go build a presence there 
don't create an app that, that you expect them to download. And so this is where young people are right now is on, is on Discord. So from three to six, Monday through Friday, uh, we have each drop-in center has its own Discord channel. And so um, tomorrow, for example, Mia, who's our program manager from Clackamas County, is going to be doing a cooking show where she's streaming over this Discord channel where her young people who know her are going to be watching her cook. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's like a bizarre kind of concept until you see the youth that you're talking about, youth who have high needs, who are panicking, who feel like the world's falling apart and all they want is a little bit of semblance of what was there. right? Right. And so Mia doing this, I'm sure it's going to be really lame. I'm sure Mia's not going to watch this, <laughs> but, but you know what? Lame is good right now. Yeah. Right. That's lame right. Lame is good. So yeah. And uh, additionally from that, we've, we're doing virtual one-on-ones where, you know, we're, it's really important for us that our young people, and if you work with young people or if you have young people in your life right now, um, uh, that, maybe you're not their primary contact. Don't assume that they're well-connected. Don't assume yeah. that, that people are checking in with them. You check in with them. And, and that's what our, uh, so much of what our uh, peer support specialists are doing is making sure that our young people, when they wake up in the morning, that they have a text message waiting. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, Scott? Right. How's yeah. your, you sleep all right? It's yeah. like, that seems like a weird message until you think about the fact that these young people, some of them, uh, no one's checking in on them. Their teachers were that positive adult influence in their life. Right. And, and now they don't have that. And so it can mean so much. Uh, it, it's what I keep pushing for people to do, like reach out to young, be annoying, be annoying to the young people in your life and just over communicate with them right now. I want to finish on, on, on the future. Um, you know, so we are in this, obviously it's a very, very difficult time, but, but, you know, my belief is, and, and you kind of said it too, you know, the advantages of winter, um, you know, allow you to be able to create. And, and I just think there's tremendous opportunity and I'm especially looking to, uh, your generation to, which is a younger generation than mine. And, but I'm looking to your generation to, uh, to tap into your creativity and, and see what comes forward. So, so what does the future hold for you, Thera? I mean, you may not know all the particulars, but what, what excites you most? It sounds strange because we're in a very difficult time. But yeah, what excites you most about what will come from this? Because we will mm-hmm. get through this and, you know, and, and uh, we will move forward. But give us some final thoughts on what you see. There are so many projects that we had that I felt so excited about. Um, one, one that was getting our, our hands in the soil of, of the, the American church community. So many churches and well-meaning folks, and we we're going to activate them and get them on the path to help slow down the youth suicide piece, right? Lots of projects like that, that, that we're doing so well. Yeah. And you're right. Uh, 
things are going to be different now. And so where is the opportunity? Well, the opportunity is that, um, is that we get to use this time as a test kitchen and see the full, the full spectrum of what digital can do, what digital outreach, what digital programming, what digital learning, what is the full meal deal look like? And from conferences to, to staff, uh, all staff meetings, we've never been able to really throw ourselves completely into this space because right now there's no other option to do anything else, right? And so what, what we're going to take, what I hope that we take is we're going to weaponize digital against despair. We're going to figure out what is the most helpful part of digital outreach, of digital peer support. And we're going to be able to figure out specifically what works. And when the world comes back together, hold on to those pieces and have that just make all of our, our normal day-to-day programming that much better. And my, my hope for the system, the mental health system as a whole, is that they do the same thing. They learn what the advantages are of social media, of, of digital outreach, and they apply those when things get back to normal. And again, because we're in this, this time, it's never has happened before in modern history in the United States. And so some of the lessons learned, we're actually going to be able to apply uh, because we get to see the consequences or the lack of consequences. What uh, therapists are using Facebook to connect with their clients and the world isn't falling apart. Maybe we can take a lesson from that and apply it once, once everything opens back up. So that's my hope for this system. Martin Rafferty. Thank you, my brother. Uh, keep up the good fight. Thank you, Scott. Until we meet again. Thank you for listening to The Optimistic Advocate. If you have enjoyed the show, consider leaving us a review and help shape the future of the show. Head on over to www.theoptimisticadvocate.com to connect with Scott and his team. Until the next time, stay optimistic, have a plan, follow through.